Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail hey everybody welcome welcome to our good news segment you know i was wondering when we were going to have a conversation about medicaid and about medicaid and chip services you're going to find out what they are because calder lynch is joining me here today deputy administrator and director for the center for Medicaid and CHIP services, and these centers within Medicare and Medicaid services. So this is a big job. This is a job that when I think about it, and I think about what people are so in need of, I certainly know and am familiar with the fantastic, fantastic services available to people that don't have anywhere else to go. Thank you so much, Calder, for joining me here today. Um, It's hard to even imagine in this short interview that we're going to even get to the tip of the iceberg on this, especially when we're talking about finding coverage, coverage for a family. Many people may have heard of Medicaid. Of course, it makes the headlines, but I don't think they really know what Medicaid and CHIP are, and I think it'd be great to really drive that home and let them know what it is and what it does for people. Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me on today. That's It's such an important topic to be able to share information with families across the country, especially during this time I know of great uncertainty. Uh, one thing we can do to give ourselves peace of mind is to make sure that our kids have the health coverage and care that they need. And that's what Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program, or CHIP, is here for. They offer free or low-cost health insurance uh, to families across the country with low or moderate income. We currently have over 35 million children and teens enrolled. And for over 20 years, the Children's Health Insurance Program in particular has been instrumental in helping to reduce the number of uninsured children in America to historic lows. We now have about 95% of our nation's children covered. So when we're thinking about this, if I think about this, and I'll tell you what comes to mind out of the gate immediately. I think the idea of Medicaid is one of the most misunderstood aspects of relief for people that I know in my lifetime. And yet I know what it does. I know the relief it provides. I know how important it is. Um, Can you talk about how this directly hits children and teens, especially in the healthcare coverage arena? Because I don't think we understand exactly what's available to people and what things can be done to help these families. So Medicaid and CHIP um, offer comprehensive health coverage for children and teens. That means that parents have peace of mind when their kids are enrolled to know that their kids have access to uh, essential medical care, like preventative visits, well-child visits, 
just regular checkups with your pediatrician or when necessary, emergency room visits or hospitalizations if your child gets sick or injured. And that's so important, not only for the health of our children, but also making sure that parents can rest easy knowing that any medical bills that arise from routine or emergency care aren't gonna jeopardize their financial security. No kidding. I mean, for those of you out there, let me tell you, CHIP is Children's Health Insurance Program. And you know, believe it or not, we're living in a time where children don't have insurance. I mean, this is the reality of this. And it varies by state. And I want to talk with you about that. I recently did a show addressing uh, Medicaid, various states, wh- what, what's in, what's out, how people uh, compare in terms of what's available for them. But in general, this is a program that was dedicated to make sure that we don't have children that cannot get what they need. And that point in itself should be something that we share and help others get that kind of relief with, don't you think? I do. I mean, so many families whose kids may be uninsured may not realize that they qualify for these programs today. Uh, for a family, as you said, it, it does vary from state to state somewhat, but for a family of four, uh, children whose parents earn up to $50,000 a year or sometimes even more may qualify for health coverage. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about this. Uh, you know, one of the things that I discovered, um, I don't know, must have been about six months ago when I when I did a, a complete series on this, is a lot of the the folks that are eligible to this, you know, have their own idea about what this means and are are so proud, you know, to try to take care of their families. I mean. Some of the people I know are working two and three jobs, and they still don't make that $50,000 number you just meant. And that's why what you're doing is so important, because we need to ensure a sense of pride and, and support that allows people to feel great about getting this care for their children. Absolutely. One of the best things you can do to take care of your family is to make sure your kids have health insurance. And that's what these programs are here for. They're here for, for families all across the country who maybe need a little extra help and make sh- making sure their kids get the care they need. Why has this become a passion for you? Every time I do one of these interviews, I know that there's a story behind the story, so to speak. What, what is it that gets you fired up every day to come out and do interview after interview about this? Well, you know, I I love uh, public service and the work we do. We have a great team of people that work to make sure that families all across the country get the care they need. Uh, Medicaid and CHIP were there for me and my family when I was a kid when we needed it. Uh, And I'm happy to be doing my part to make sure that it continues to do so. I know. Isn't that funny? I was just going to say the same thing because, you know, they, they look at people like us and they don't think, oh, really, Pat, your family? Yeah. Are you kidding? Um, We live in a world where we can't imagine that people do not have what they need to survive. I mean, we really do. And that's why what you're doing is so important. We're not talking about a handful of people. I mean, if you look at the level of families that are $50,000 and under in terms of what they bring in for support, the numbers are staggering, aren't they? They are. We have over 35 million children and teens across the country enrolled in these programs. And, and for many of them, their families are working, right? And, and But they need a little extra help to get the health insurance they need for their kids. No, no kidding. I mean, you, you know, this is one of the great misconceptions, I think, about these programs that, 
you know, there are families out there that are not working. That is not the case. There are families out there working for minimum wage, and minimum wage does not equal $50,000 a year. Um, how do people find out more about this, and what can we do to spread the word? And do you have a phone number? I sure do. So as, as we talked about, that these programs are administered by the states, and so families can apply online, over the phone, uh, by mail, or maybe in more normal times, in person, uh, through your state Medicaid or CHIP agency. And if you're not sure who that is or how to get in touch with them, we've set up a website and a phone number to answer those questions and get you to the right place. Uh, and that's insurekidsnow.gov, insurekidsnow.gov, or you can call one eight seven. Kids Now, which is 1-877-543-7669, and we can get you to the right place. Now, I want to get, uh, I know we have a few minutes left, but I want to drill down a little bit about this because my experience in the moment of my life, you know, the service, the service that I do is in uh, assisting in recovery, you know, addiction, you know, alcohol and addiction recovery. That's, that's part of my public service, so to speak, uh, voluntary. And, you, you know, I want to understand from your perspective when we're coming out and talking about this now, can you tell me what types of medical services are covered? Many people don't know much about Medicaid or CHIP. So I just want to be clear about the depth and the breadth of this for people. Well, Medicaid and CHIP probably offer some of the most comprehensive health coverage you can get. You know, in addition to the normal, more routine care like doctor's visits, hospital visits, emergency rooms, prescription drugs, immunizations, it also covers dental services, mental health, substance use disorder services or addiction services, um, eye exams. It's a really comprehensive suite of benefits. You know, uh, I want to ask you this. You've been involved in this now for a while. You have seen the evolution of this. Um, what is the message that you would like to share about where we are with the program and where the vision is for what you want to accomplish? You know, Medicaid and CHIP are critical lifelines for millions of families across the country. Um, and as we partner with states, our goal is to make sure that they're there for families in times of need, that they offer high quality healthcare services, uh, and that they do so um, in an affordable way for them and in an effective way for the American taxpayer. We want to deliver good outcomes, good results for the American people. And that's what they're doing. And we're happy to be here to help support families across the country. Um. Last question for, for me. I know there is so much to talk about and there's so much that I didn't ask you about. And so can you leave us with the three most important aspects of what you want folks to know today? Absolutely. The first one is that Medicaid and CHIP are offer health insurance for children all across the country. You can apply at any time of the year. There's no restriction. And, you, and if you, you may qualify even if you don't think you do. So if your kids are uninsured, you should apply. And so you should call us at 1-877-KIDS-NOW or visit our website at insurekidsnow.gov. Okay. Thank you so very, very much. Last question, personal message. What do you want to leave us with today? Thank you so much for doing what you're doing, Calder. 
Thank you. Well, I think personally, I would just say that I know that these are difficult times for many of us across the country as we, you know, have to either be a direct care frontline worker um, who's, you know, at the front lines of battling this pandemic or we're isolating at home with our families. All of this creates enormous stresses on ourselves and our families. Make sure you're taking care of yourselves and make sure you're taking care of your families. And one way you can do that is by making sure your kids have health insurance. So appreciate the work everyone's doing to help get us through these difficult times. And I know we'll get on the other side of it. Yeah. And for me, what I want to say about this and what Calder is doing is that these programs are lifesavers. I have seen them in action. I have seen what they can do to save lives. I have seen the relief that they give parents that are working two and three jobs. Um, I can see what they have done in my family for um, our family, our nieces, our our nephews that work two and three jobs that really don't know much about how they're going to get by. And to have a program like this where the scariest, the scariest of things that a parent worries about outside of food on the table is the health and well-being of their children. Thank you so much for everything you're doing on this, Calder. Well, thank you for having us on today. All right, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Inspire. Create. Empower. Only on Transformation Talk Radio. When we announced that we were building something called AI for the Soul, uh, we thought we would be completely embraced with open arms. But the world sometimes that we live in says, what do you know about AI? You know, And I thought at the minute, what does that mean? Is it like me, Dr. Pat? But my friend said to me, you know, This is a field that men hang out in. And I said, I don't think so. Ratika Gunner is joining me here today, data and AI expert, uh, AI expert labs and learning at IBM. And why are we here today? Because I'll tell you, we're celebrating. IBM recognizes top women leaders in artificial intelligence. And what is it that female business leaders across a variety of industries and geographies are doing? Why would our team decide we're gonna do something for the world we live in, the consciousness world. Well, I don't have the answers to that, but Ratika does. Ratika, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat, excited to be here today. You know, I'm so excited about this because I don't think many people really, when we look at AI, use the word woman and AI in the same context. And the fact that you all are shining a light on this and honoring these women, I think is going to take us one step closer to really honoring the level of creativity. But also, it gives us a new dialogue to have about AI and what these folks are doing. Um, For you, how thrilled are you to be, to be, to represent this group of women and honorees? Yeah, it's a honor that I don't take lightly because each of these women, when you look at their background and the work that they have done and where they started their career in science and technology and the work that they've done to be able to create these AI projects, whether they're on the business side or the technology side, 
it's absolutely fantastic to be able to see these leaders and to be able to represent and to be able to showcase the work that they have done is so meaningful to me. Uh, I'm glad to be able to represent a lot of what they are doing. You know, I went to the website and let's just mention it right out front because I think it's important for people to be able to take a, a look, right, at what these women are, are doing, who they are. Give us the website because you are uh, have showcased them uh, over at IBM. That's right. Um, listeners can go to IBM.com and take a look at the women leaders in AI. Um, here, like in our continued effort to push for gender equality and mm. quite frankly, diversity in AI, which is essential, we're showcasing over 35 women leaders across various industries and industries. These women were chosen because they themselves are spearheading within their organizations the power of AI to be able to transform, to grow, to innovate across their organization. And as part of being a woman leader in AI, we're celebrating these honorees and their accomplishments and the trajectory that they have come through to be able to reach not only where they are, but the kinds of projects that they're developing, but also it creates a peer network for them to be able to learn and discover from each other. And it's such a great way to provide role models for the younger generation to promote the diversity that is absolutely essential for AI. You know, when we kind of take a look at this dynamic field, women still only represent a minority, an estimated 26% yeah. of the professionals out there are female. And while we have progressed, we still have a long way to go. Yeah. I have to tell you, this is a funny story, but not so funny. But, you know, I echo, I can't echo this loud enough about what we're talking about here today. Because the part of that little story I didn't share about the project that we're creating, and by the way, we'll be talking to IBM about, is after I had this conversation, and it's coming from our network, the comment that was made was so interesting. And what they said was, well, you know, the CEO of Transformation Radio and the Transformation Network, I think he'll be able to do it. And I just, I looked at this person and I said, I'm the CEO of that company. And I just thought, am I still living back in the dark ages? And then I looked at this and I realized I'm not. You have made great strides. Tell me what, out of all of what you've reviewed, the selection of the people, what excites you most? How innovative and creative are we talking about here? You know, what excites me most is the creativity of some of the honorees. You know, each of the honorees is leading at least one AI project in their business, and they're delivering really powerful results. Mm. And, you know, in aggregate, if you look at the activities that these women are doing, they're applying AI in really complex, changing environments. This is not consumer AI. This is AI in enterprises. Yeah. I'll give you a couple of examples um, if you think that would be interesting. Yeah, like totally. one of the one yeah. of the women. Okay, let's go through that. So one of the examples is um, Siemens, and over here um, they've created an H an an artificial intelligence based human resources virtual agent. It's called. Carl, C-A-R-L, and it serves as an around-the-clock single point of contact for the employees in the organization. Over 3 
180,000 employees across the world. And so it needs to be translated in multiple languages. And it covers over 200 plus topics. Ultimately, when you have a solution like this, you're improving employee satisfaction because you're answering employees' questions on demand and you're decreasing the repetitive tasks that humans have to do. And so Carl was built on IBM Watson technology. Do you want to hear another one? I do, because I think, look, this is not only going to be shared across the, the United States and especially in Seattle, but it's going to be shared across the world. And, you know, we are here to celebrate, but also educate and inform. And, and I'm not kidding when I said that AI, AI and the word woman don't usually go together, and we are busting that bubble. So please share. I'll share one more, and then I'll go into you know why this recognition is so important through yes. the examples. Yep. Another example is, um, I'll give you an example of Best Western Hotels. You know, they've been using Watson for quite some time, and they're using the cognitive dialogue capabilities to target and assist different travelers. Examples being leisure travel travelers or road trippers and leveraging the AI capabilities to be able to um, convert and have better brand experience and exposure. So 51% of users are more likely to visit a Best Western location within a week of being exposed to the Watson capabilities. Or they'll spend twice as much time with the brand than they would with competing um technologies or use cases. That's pretty powerful when you think about the power of AI. Yeah. Um, I'll, keep going. Okay. I was going to go through. Okay. So why is this so important? Yeah. You know, we talked about there's so few females in, uh, in, in this field of artificial intelligence An estimated 26% of AI professionals are globally, globally are female. If you think about it, even that has improved over the last five years, over the last decade. But one of the studies that we that, that was most recently conducted found that while men and women working in AI are equally interested in math and sciences growing up, men were more likely to be told that they have a natural talent for math and sciences, while women were more likely to be told that they had a natural talent for things like humanities, social sciences, and the fine arts. This disparity is an issue. And by shining a light on these women and the work that they're doing, we hope not only to inspire and energize others to adopt AI and to make a true difference in their organization, but also to acknowledge that when businesses incorporate diversity into their leadership and into their technological teams, that they have better outcomes. And it also surfaces a view to be able to provide role models for the younger generation to know that they can have a roadmap in these technologies and to have confidence and a community to be able to build up to having roles and careers in artificial intelligence. You know, what I think is really so excited along those lines is that we don't acknowledge enough how AI is changing people's lives. And clearly, when I looked at the projects that these women um, are doing or working on, I went and looked at all of them on your website. I looked at the full 2020 list, and you also have the 2019 list. And one of the things I was struck by is, number one, um, how easy it is for somebody like me to talk to an expert in your organization, because that's going to be important for us. 
we're not AI experts. We've got an idea. We need some help in this. And of course, we're getting ready to crowdfund for it. But more than that is a conversation that says there's something unique and special, I think, that that these women bring to the conversation. And how do we step back for a minute, if we could, and honor that? Because you're right. You know, most of the time women are told, you know what, this is really what, you, I'm one of them. You're, you're, you, you, this, we, we think this is the direction you should go. But these women have broken through. What do you attribute that to, if I could ask you? A lot of it is about confidence and perseverance and being able to probably have a mentor or a coach or someone that told yeah. them that they can do it. And that's why I think programs like this are so important. For my own self, having a a career in technology and in computer science starting out, uh, having support system for mentors like my mother who was an engineer or other female engineers that I encountered was absolutely essential. And so this is why programs like Women Leaders in AI become important because as, as people see that there are more people out there who have made successful careers in artificial intelligence, in science and technology, it's it's a network effect. You'll have more people being interested in the role. And I think that's extremely important because AI, especially now, is ubiquitous in our daily lives. Yeah. If you weren't impacted, if you, if you think you're not impacted by it, you're wrong. When you call up to book an airline ticket, you're dealing with AI with a voice-activated virtual agent. When you're calling your bank for help with a particular account or using a assistant on their site, you're using AI. Uh, or an AI-powered customer service agent to be able to drive answers. You know, here's the thing that I, I hope we talk about more, and I know you've got to run. I know this is a short interview. Um, I work for Bell Laboratories and the phone company for over two decades, and I work directly for the the president, the vice president of one of the most incredible research organizations, right? that lived at that time. I mean, these are the people, the big bang people, Arno Penzias, those folks. And here's the thing I remember, and I wanna share it, because I think what you're doing is so important. People don't realize that AI goes so very far back, including into the first caller ID they had on their phones. And we are looking at innovative and life-saving ways to change the landscape through AI. And that is an important part of this conversation because in many, many walks of life, AI has gotten a bad rap for, for basically no reason. But the innovation of AI is what's happening today in the world to connect people. And I wanna ask you, for those that are listening, how do we best help get these ideas out to the forefront? Because I, I want people to know about what you all are doing. Because if they know about what you're doing, they're gonna come forward. They're gonna seek help from you. I mean, on, I'm one of them. I never thought to look towards IBM for help with our AI. I never thought to do that. And yet, now I do. So tell me, how can you, what will you continue to do to bring this message forward? I think, um... There are multiple ways. I mean, if you if you think about it, every organization, every industry, every kind of w way that we do work today 
can be optimized and benefited and transform leveraging AI. We look at artificial intelligence and it can help you better optimize what you're doing. It can help you better predict what you should be doing. Yeah. It can help you better automate what you have been doing. And so it needs to be pervasive. And by sharing examples, not only of the people who are doing this work, but the kinds of things that they're doing and the examples, that serves as reminders that we continually need to be innovating and changing with technologies such as AI to be relevant. And if you're not doing that, you're being left behind. And that's one of the most important things that we need to be able to, to, to really internalize in terms of what are we doing to keep progressing how we're, how we're, how we're innovating yeah. and, and, and changing ourselves and our, our businesses. I know. And, and I have to say, we bring as women a different dimension. You know, short ending to that story I just told you about caller ID. I worked for the company that had to decide whether to actually uh, use caller ID in phones. I mean, there was a time where they weren't going to use it. And there was the board meeting that sat around a room full of men. And the head of the company was not going to implement caller ID because he felt women would not want their phone number known. And so one of the executives grabs me from, from outside and brings me in and asked me the question about caller ID and asked me if I would be afraid if people knew my phone number. And I said, on the contrary, I said, can you imagine busy women in our lives? If we could actually know who's calling us, who's not, if we could block somebody that we don't want to call us, I said, that caller ID thing sounds like one of the greatest innovations of our time. And here we are today, and that, I think, those perspectives where women can bring a different dimension to add to what men bring gives us a whole picture, don't you think? Absolutely. Great story. Well, look, I'm looking forward to all of this. Give us the website. I want folks to know a lot about this. Thank you. Um, listeners can go to IBM.com for more information on the 35 women in leaders, uh, women in AI leaders honorees, um, or for any of the technology that we have talked about today. Awesome. I want to thank you so much for this. Boy, I, I can't wait till next year. This is awesome. Have a great day, Radhika. Thank you. All right, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Yeah, yippee skippy to that, baby. We're not done yet. Some of us are out here to educate and inspire. This year, 2020, is the year we got to show me the money in the cash flow. I'm Dr. Pat. This is the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Visit thedrpatshow.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. You know, we've been bringing you a number of different segments to just to make sure that you're getting information that will help you live your life fully. Today, I am here with Julia Wilkinson, and we are talking about, of all things, yes, you've heard me talk about it over and over and over again right now, women's health. She is a women's health expert and genetic counselor. So joining me here today is someone that's going to talk to us about family planning during COVID-19. What does that mean? What does it look like? What you should know? And how does the research 
really come to the forefront when we're looking at self-care. Uh, Julia, thank you for joining me here today. Now, you know, look, you have been somebody that has been out in the forefront when it comes to women's reproductive health, you know, clinician, somebody that is out there that understands the conversation uh, that goes deeper than, wow, you're pregnant. And so this is why, for me, this is a very important conversation, but more importantly, it's especially important during COVID-19. Thank you for joining me here today. I've got to just come out of the gate and ask you about this. What about your message? What about it do you feel is so powerful and and essential for the time we're living in now? What is it that you're most aware of and concerned of now? And thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. You know, I think for most of my patients, their medical care right now has been interrupted. They're doing things now that are different than what they were doing before. And they really might not know what that means they actually need to be doing to prepare, or they might be more nervous about those next steps. So for me, the message is there are things that you can do right now from home to to be preparing, but also to still continue to feel safe no matter where you are and no matter what stage you're at in your reproductive journey. Boy, I got to tell you, this is, I think you nailed it because we're not actually talking about this enough. And, you know, the more shows I do and the more I talk about this, the closer we're getting to what literally is in the hearts of these women, right? I mean, carrying a child by itself in any other point in time, not during the COVID-19 crisis, but any other point in time, brings women to the most le- the most conscious level of awareness that probably they be- they're in their life. They're so aware. What has your research, what are you seeing is on the hearts of, of women and what is most important for them to learn and understand now? I think when you are now at home and you have additional time on your hands, rather than sit and be anxious about what might be and the things that we're still learning about the impacts that this virus might have, this is now a time where you can really become empowered and start getting information and collecting things that are actually going to be useful for you in your pregnancy. So things like doing some research, reaching out to your family members and finding out what's in that family health history and not just for you also for your partner don't forget he contributed something too so reach out to his family and find out are there things that are in that family history that might impact your health or the health of your children yeah Um, and if you you aren't pregnant yet things like tracking your cycles getting all of your medical records together we forget that maybe we've seen different doctors in our lifetimes and so there's pieces of information in different places and our current doctor might not have everything all together that they need. Especially things like vaccinations, a lot of times those are in your pediatric records, they're not in your adult records. So take the time now and go get everything, collect it all, organize it, so that when you do get to your doctor's appointment, be it in person or via telehealth, all of this information is now available for them. I got to tell you what you just said, if we weren't doing a show this specific, what you just said is so very vital to anyone 
that is at home or that has a quote condition, any of that. What you just said is so important. Um, but more important than that is I think family, I think the family members, especially in this time, um, really come together to try to be as open and forward uh, as they could be. I, I, I have a situation where my friend's daughter uh, just learned she was pregnant. And I've never seen such a level of awareness to try to find out exactly the things that you're talking about. There's a new level of awareness, but also there's a new level of wanting to know, isn't there? I think there is, but I think there's also been an increase in that accessibility as well. I think telehealth can be a little overwhelming at first because it's something new and different, mm -hmm. but honestly, I've been doing telehealth for six years. And so being able to reach patients all across the country and really across the world, mm -hmm. regardless of things like time zone, there's some, there's some access to care that's become very different. And even things like, you know, as a genetic counselor, I focus a lot on your genetic testing. Things like your genetic carrier screening, you used to have to go into the doctor's office and have your blood drawn. If you were positive, your partner had to come in and have their blood drawn. And there's companies like Invite that are making that accessible all from home. There's saliva tests now. There's kits that can just be sent to your house. You spit in the tube and send it back. And it's really easy to have access to this information and access to care that you actually might not have had otherwise. So I see these as all improvements to our care and really things that can be done to enhance the care that we're getting. You know, you're out here and you're doing a lot of these interviews, and I want to acknowledge you for doing that. You know, we had a really interesting conversation with the person I referenced a few minutes ago, and one of the conversations had to do with testing. And uh, I, I think that there is such a misunderstanding when we're talking to testing and genetic testing and what can be done. But there's also a level of anxiety that people that are carrying a child right now are having. Can you talk to us about this initiative and what this means at home testing? Can you talk about this a minute? Everyone has a genetic risk to be carriers for different genetic conditions. And that is regardless of your family history, regardless of your ethnic background, we all have these risks. And most of the time, being a carrier, you're healthy. So there's not really a way to know that you're a carrier for something until you do one of these genetic tests. So in order to really assess, well, what's the actual risk for you and your partner as a couple, and figure out, are there other tests? Are there different precautions or preparations that might be needed for delivery? We can't do any of that without getting that information first. And so it's really important that you can do that and get your information, but still feel like you're doing that in a very safe way. But I just had a patient who had gone to her doctor's office months ago and gotten her testing, but now her partner needs to be tested. And here we are in the middle of this pandemic, and he really can't easily go back into their office to do it. But we were able to ship that kit to him at home. He could do the saliva testing, and we got all the information that that couple needed. And so now we can have these conversations with complete information. And that's what I think really helps to take away some of that anxiety is to have the actual opportunity to better understand the information. 
Yeah, I mean, you just nailed it because the one thing that we can all say about the times we're living in right now is that, you know, knowledge is powerful, having that information. And, you know, it seems like we are really breaking past the boundaries of the past right now and how we go about and do things, right? I'm just curious on how people can find out more about what we're talking about today because these are really short interviews. So there's lots of information on the Invitae website. It's just Invitae.com. There are patient fact sheets. There's actually some videos featuring me um, as well as some of my colleagues that talk about the different testing options, give you some information about what type of results you might expect. And then once you have test results, there's also a patient portal where you can have an interactive test report. You can schedule a consultation to talk to somebody like me um, as a genetic counselor and go over those results in person. So all of that can be found online at your fingertips. Just go to invitae.com. All right. Uh, Last question I have for you, if you don't mind sharing this with us today. Um, What is on your top three things that folks should know that are listening? Uh, whether that are whether that are is the couple or the families, because you know this and I know this, that you know the level of anxiety could be right within yourselves. But boy, you know the mother-in-laws and grandmas and everybody else, they're right there with people. So on your list of top three things you want to share here today, tell me if you don't mind and tell us. What are the top three at three actions you'd like to see people take? So I think it's important to keep in mind that all of this information, especially about the coronavirus and COVID-19 is still new. And we're still learning about all of the impacts that it might have. So our best advice is to take the steps that you would normally take to stay healthy through your pregnancy, reducing your risk and use this time wisely. So really do Put in a little bit of time to get the information, do your homework, collect that family history information, get your screening done, be ready and prepared for that next doctor's appointment because that's the way that you are going to actually be able to move forward and feel like you were empowered to take really good care of yourself and your pregnancy and not just be sitting back anxious about it. You can do it. There are things you can do even right now from home and they will make a big difference. Awesome. Would you mind giving us that website again? And then I have one last question. I would love to know your your personal message for all of us today. Sure. So for more information, the website is invitae.com. And you know, my personal message is that knowledge is power. And having information about your genetic risk for disease, having information about your family history and your medical history that might relate to complications or concerns about your future pregnancy, all of that allows your doctors to have meaningful discussions with you about your care. So please go out and collect that information, empower yourself. Thank you so very much. Um, And I know you've got a long day ahead of you, of course, with getting this message out. Thank you so much and be well. Thank you, Pat, for having me today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Okay, everybody, you heard it. Please pass it on. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Are you traveling most of your day? Do you want to take Transformation Talk Radio with you anywhere you go? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. 
Just go to the App Store on your Apple device or the Google Play Store on your Android and search Transformation Talk Radio. Catch all of our live shows no matter where you are. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It is so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. You know, I have to tell you, um, this has always been a strange dilemma for me, you know, following the guidelines and the rules about when you should eat, when you shouldn't eat. And, you know, those of us that, well, let's say we're a little bit active, maybe we play a sport. By the time seven o'clock comes, uh, might be some of us are starving, but we have to fight it. You know, we have to fight it because everybody has said to us, oh, my gosh, do not eat anything after seven. Wait, screech, halt. Yeah. Joining me here today is Joel Marion to talk us about a new book that debunks the diet myths and proves that you can burn fat faster by eating after seven. What a relief. Joel, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. You know, I got to tell you, I don't think I'm alone. I think I'm with the millions of people that go to bed hungry sometimes. And, you know, reading your book was really quite insightful. But what made you start to look at this? I'm really curious about that. You've been helping millions of people all over the world lose weight, lose fat, gain muscle. That's who you are. But why this? a great question. It actually started when I gained 46 pounds of unwanted slab myself, building my supplement company, Biotrust. And I started pulling, you know, all nighters trying to build the company. And at the same time, got married and had a couple, you know, children. And so life happened. And uh, I started, you know, following my traditional dieting methods that I've been taught through all my certifications and my textbook education. You know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Don't eat late at night. And when I looked into the research after gaining all this weight, I found that the exact opposite was true when you look at the latest scientific research. So I think although the intentions were good over the years, the science does not bear it out now. And also we have to look at the food industry in general. If you're doing something like I recommend, which is intermittent fasting, you're skipping a meal. So you're actually skipping breakfast. And we provide breakfast snacks, but remember that uh, when you skip a meal, the food industry doesn't make money because you're not eating that meal, right? So right. you have to remember that they want to program us to consume more food. Yeah. And so and this, you know, turns this it off, turns it all on time. So. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of interesting because there are some people that wake up in the morning and breakfast is the last thing that they actually want. Um, you know, is this more of, this is my language and not yours, but is this more an intuitive awakening, really like what the body is calling for here? Exactly what I talk about in the book. It caters to your body's natural instinct of being hungry at night and wanting to eat later in the day. Now we have that natural instinct, but we want to, we have to fight it, right? So we're either A, we're suffering or B, we cave. And we feel guilty. Well, this book eliminates both of that. So what is it along the way? Let's talk about some of the discoveries you made about, especially about the science of this, is we have been drilled into our heads. Believe me, I'm one of those people that 
oh my gosh, if you eat late at night, if you crave food late at night, if you dot, dot, dot late at night. And you know, by the way, I'm not talking like late, late at night. Um, you're going to gain it. But yet my relatives over in the over in Italy, they eat dinner at nine o'clock at night. And you ever take a look at them? Uh, so what is it about the science of this that's got us going crazy here? Well, it caters to both the metabolism and the hormones, especially as we age and get over the age of 40 as our hormones decline. This pattern of eating caters to that natural hormonal instinct. So when they take dieters and they put them side by side in multiple peer-reviewed studies, dieters who eat their calories earlier in the day did not lose any more weight than those who ate their calories later in the day and before bed. In fact, late night eaters uh, who snack before bed actually ate 397 calories less per day on average than those who ate their calories earlier in the day. So it's just a matter of looking at the science. Some people have been programmed to believe breakfast. Got to get up, got to eat breakfast. Well, we provide breakfast snacks in the book for people who absolutely have to have it because of health reasons or medications or something like that. But in general, when you skip that first meal of the day, you actually elevate your metabolism. We've been programmed to believe that it actually lowers our metabolism. We need to eat right away to get the metabolism going, and it's simply not true. The intermittent fasting protocol actually increases metabolic rate. And then as you eat these calories later in the day and you cater to your natural instincts, you actually regulate your weight loss hormones, your thyroid, your leptin levels, your cortisol cycle. Uh, eating what I call super carbs late at night actually coaxes the brain to release melatonin and serotonin. So you're inducing deeper sleep before you go to bed. Yeah, I mean, those of you just tuning in, Joel Marion joining me here today. By the way, you're going to hear a lot more from Joel on, on the Dr. Pat show. But one of the things that I want to talk with you about, Joel, you know, as you're out of the gate with the new book uh, and you're really in front of crowds, um, the question that has come up amongst my team, right, because we're really all over this, has been uh, asked Joel this question. Are there foods you should or should not eat after 7 p.m.? Because you know there's a whole list of guilt and shame that comes with this, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we're going to recommend that you stick to certain food choices, especially during the week. Um, and, you know, there are definitely certain foods that are better at night than are not. And yeah. so I've partnered with my great friend, Diane Achillian. We have over 75 recipes in the book, and we and we have a couple dozen pre-bedtime fat-burning snacks that are absolutely delicious. She's a, we call her the recipe hacker. They're amazing. And, and what these late night snacks will do is what, not only will they help you induce deeper sleep by releasing more melatonin and serotonin, it prevents muscle loss. It helps you release more growth hormone while you sleep. And then uh, research shows that people that snack using the right types of foods before bed actually wake up and have more stable blood sugar. Wow. I mean, this is really, Joe, when I think about this, I, I really do think how this absolutely cuts across decades and decades and decades of information that has caused a ton of people to go to bed hungry. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not talking about the people that just don't have enough food to eat in, in general, but the idea of going to bed hungry has been so ingrained in us that, man, we're going to need some kind of intervention to turn that around. 
food rehab, huh? <laughs> no kidding, I swear. I mean, I've read your book, and you know, so a couple of things that I've been trying myself is to work my way into saying, hey, you know what? Keep something on hand so you can have it, so you don't go to bed hungry. But, but I got to ask you this question. I know a short interview. What are your top three favorite, you personally, favorite after seven? indulgences well my first one is i do uh, a protein pudding that diana has a recipe for inside the book and you're just using the protein powder i use obviously my companies that i talk about inside the book um and it, it's literally like having a milkshake when you make a shake or then you can use the pudding recipe uh so that's like my number one and then she has this salted bark and this healthy salted bark. Oh. It's a sweet and salty snack before bed. And you feel like you're cheating, but you're not. It's actually has the right food combinations to keep blood sugar stable and, and actually help you induce that deeper sleep by feeding the muscle and the metabolism at night. You see, before you eat, most people don't understand protein is like the number one food before bed because it has the highest thermic effect. The body burns twice as many calories digesting protein than it does carbs or fat. So if you eat protein before bed, you're actually increasing your metabolism. Yeah. So my craving, my craving for hard boiled eggs at night is like, I should be able to do that without guilt and shame. Oh, for sure. It's an excellent snack to have before bed. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I just, I just can't tell you, you know, th there's a lot of things that have come out that talk about whether or not, you know, um, blood blood types body types all sorts of types but i think the thing that we're talking about here and some of the things that you're bringing up in your book are really about understanding what could help us stop the cravings because the cravings are just making people crazy that's it i mean that's the hardest part of any crash diet if you look at today's most popular diet keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, plant-based, all of them are very restrictive. They eliminate entire food groups, makes it very hard to adhere to. So yeah, they work. They work great for about two weeks. And then you suppress two of your body's master weight regulating hormones, your thyroid and your leptin levels. That's why it's so important that this book is not a crash diet. It's a lifestyle. So we give you a two-week acceleration phase at the beginning where the, the food choices are a little more limited because we want to get the body adapted to burning fat. Yeah. But other than that, we don't eliminate any food groups in, in the diet. Well, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this. I know you and I are going to be talking down the road. And by the way, love the picture you put in the book. Just love that before and after uh, picture. I had to really look at that to say, is that really the same guy in that picture? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Totally. Appreciate that. Yeah. Joel, um, what's the website? How do people find out more about you? And then one last question. I know you've got to run. What is your personal message? What do you want to leave us with? Well, you can find out more about the book and me at joelmarion.com, J-O-E-L-M-A-R-I-O-N.com. And then the last thing that I would tell people is that the best diet to follow is one that you can adhere to. And that's why I created this book. I love it. Joel, thank you so much. I know you're busy. Uh, thank you for allowing most of us out there to really not go to bed hungry. I love it. Joel Marion, everybody. I'm Dr. Pat.